0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: All right. Well, uh, let's pray and then we'll get cracking, as they say. Lord be with us today. Help us to think well about your students. You've given us stewardship over and uh, to think well about your word, what you ask of us. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I want to start today by reading just a small passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's kind of like the go-to family passage in a lot of ways. Uh, But I think it's important to kind of set the tone for where we're headed this morning. So here is Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You'll write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Nice. Okay, so there's a lot about this passage I think is really important in terms of kind of orienting us to thoughtfully parent in an age of distraction. Um, And one of the first things that sticks out is that when Moses is talking about parenting, about sort of teaching your children in the way of God, that it all seems very ordinary. Like, he doesn't say, hey, You know, send them to the camp meeting every August. You know, there's none of that. It's all very, hey, uh, verse 7, you'll teach them diligently. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You know, just kind of as you're going about your everyday life, that's where, like, real family discipleship occurs, mostly in the ordinary parts of your life. So as I find my notes here, get ready to kind of go. I have like three points for us today, and then hopefully we'll have a minute or two at the end for questions, for just kind of conversations, etc. But yeah, this is pretty much just my... I've been working in youth ministry for six years. It's one of my last kind of regular Sundays in that role, so it feels good to just kind of say, hey, here's where we are from observing these Gen Zers for six years and trying to work with them Here we are. This is the best I got for you. So, um, just three points, and we'll start with number one. Your job as parents is like the most important job in terms of your kids' spiritual development. We do a lot, you know, like we meet on Sunday nights. We have Bible studies in the morning. We do that dance as well as we can, but in terms of sheer waking hours... You guys have way more time with them, way more influence over them than anybody else, right? The things that you do over the course of your life and your discipleship with your kids will cash in way more than things we do, right? So um, I think a, a good way to think about this is that we, youth pastors in general, Supplement you guys as parents, not the other way around, right? Like you guys don't supplement our work in your kids' spiritual lives. We are there to support your work in your kids' spiritual lives. Does that make sense? Um, in His infinite wisdom, this is just the way that God has kind of ordained the world to go. Is that um, parents are primarily disciplers and raisers of their kids, um, youth pastors, pastors, young adult pastors other godly influences, and in the lives of your kids do a lot of good. They're necessary in a lot of ways, and they're really wonderful influences. But at the end of the day, what you do and the kind of rhythms that you set in the lives of your kids will be most important for their ultimate spiritual growth. I'd study after study comes out and says that uh, children's long-term spiritual health remaining in the faith after college, for example, right? Like, after they go off to whatever state school and take the Faith Busters class, and, uh, you know, they get their Intro to Philosophy credit, and they come out asking all these questions that they think, in 2,000-year history of the church, nobody's asked before, where did evil come from? (sighs) This is a stumper. But, you know, like, at the end of the day, what is the chief indicator of whether or not they make it through that class as conservative, or, you know, just like biblical followers of Jesus is the robustness of spirituality. See, Dedrick, the robustness of the spirituality of their parents, especially their fathers, but but their parents in general, is what the data bears out, is that if you guys are investing in your own spiritual health, if that's a part of your everyday life, it will kind of necessarily trickle down to your kids, right? Um, So, that I think is important, is that um, youth pastors here, whatever church you go to, play a a real and important role, but they also um, play a supplementary role. Um, So, I think one more thing on this point is that uh, you catechize your kids More than you probably realize. And by catechize, I don't mean, you know, you sit down with the New City Catechism or, you know, like the 39 articles and y'all just like run through it. You get the flashcards out. Yeah, that's right. Um, But there is a sort of casual, implicit catechizing that goes on in your life every day, right? It happens to you guys. It happens to your kids, for sure. Um, In super implicit ways, like... Hey, I don't need a new iPad, but like I just saw this commercial for this like ball and iPad Pro, and I'm thinking, man, I could like make some use out of that. Plants a little seed in your head, then you start seeing it everywhere. That's the kind of implicit catechizing that we have in mind, Um, especially in more affluent kind of middle, upper middle, upper class societies. That is is going on, and it like happens with your kids as well. So. I think the, probably the best way to say this is that you're catechizing your students a lot based, or your children, based off the choices that you make in your own life, right? This is, uh, I think, a real, I was talking to a parent, not somebody who goes to this church, but somebody who lives in a different state, and you know, over the last, like, 18 months. It's been this big conversation about critical race theory. This hilarious to me as somebody who got a sociology degree, uh, like all my teachers are critical theorists. It's like, you can't just, like, be like, oh, you know, they're teaching third graders critical race. But regardless, um, I was trying to tell this parent, like, hey, critical race theory is not what's going to take your kid away from the church. Like, it's not what's going to corrode your kid's confidence in the Bible and his confidence in the person of Jesus, as important as it is to kind of like think through and ask those questions and kind of assess, like, is this a meta-narrative to view all of life through? The answer is no, but for critical race theory, not for the Bible, the answer is definitely yes for the Bible. Um, but the the issue is like, hey, bro, it's it's not critical race theory that's going to take your kids away from the church. To be honest, it's the ball field that's going to take your kids away from the church. Because Over the course of their lives, they're making these decisions. Generally, families make these decisions to say, hey, you know, um, church is a good thing. We want our kids to be good, moral people, uh, and we want them to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But for this season of life, what's really important is the AAU tournament in Nashville two or three weekends a month. Or it's the, um, I don't know, whatever the AAU equivalent is for soccer or baseball out in New Hampshire for a month in the summer. You know, it's we're making, when we make choices to say, hey, you know, we dig the discipleship thing, we're fans of the church, we love Jesus, and yet we're making choices that, even outside of just the institutional church, are like, hey, you got a lot of homework, so we'll skip family worship for the night, and then one night turns into three nights, turns into, you know, and we just make these kind of choices, especially as kids get older, that tell our kids implicitly, not explicitly. Explicitly is quite the opposite, but implicitly, we're telling students, "Hey, this is actually not as important as we say it is." Right? So, in this kind of catechesis of your kids, it's just important for words to match actions. Does that make sense? Are we try, and I want to like say this is not like you know a law situation so much as it is just like, hey, this is a real thing. Like, This is what it's like raising kids in the 21st century. It's good to be aware of it because sometimes the most insidious rhythms that we fall into are the ones that we're not super aware of. So worth keeping in mind on that front is the choices that we're making in our family lives. What are they saying to our kids about the priority or the impetus we're placing on spiritual health and a robust relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's my first point. Your job as parents—it's awesome, wonderful responsibility that God has stewarded you with—is um, most important in the spiritual growth of your kids. Questions, comments, concerns. Before we move on to tech stuff, yeah, Charlie. In the beginning, when you were talking about
0: the different studies, mm-hmm. how
1: the parents are most impactful. Said something just quickly, like especially the dad yeah. In, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, that's just what the data says. Is that um, like there's a Touchstone study? It's a little dated now, um, and several others, especially out of Europe, and then there's some in the United States, but especially market in Europe because of the secularity there. Um, is that for whatever reason, it seems to be that as goes the father spiritually in a very real way so goes the family. And to be perfectly frank with you, like my kind of observation is that women generally, for whatever reason, tend to be kind of predisposed, might be the wrong word, but generally more predisposed to the spiritual life and the elements thereof. I think... Jonathan Edwards saw this like in a lot of his sermons he talks especially to the men in his congregation to say like hey women they they're good they're buttoned up they're solid they spend time with the lord they it's the men who the temptation is same as it was post Genesis 3 to work a lot to spend a lot of time there to do a number of other things so yeah but that's a lot of speculation I'm not a social scientist myself but I think generally that's kind of what the numbers are saying yeah Oscar so I want to share a personal story yeah about yeah, way. great. Uh, I, uh, so I, I just kind of think, I just think, I always think, like, well, you know, like, I, I do a really good job of work life balance and being with my family. And I, yeah. I'm kids to school every day, and I'm usually still home by 5 30. Yeah. So, like, late, late last spring, I made this, like, Frisbee golf golf course in the backyard, and it's like 5 30, and I'm sitting here playing Frisbee golf with my kids, and I'm the best dad. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh my oldest son tried to say something to me, and he said, I said, Hold on, buddy, let me, say, let me finish this work email. Mm. And he said, You're always finishing the work email. And I was just like, Bush. Bro, what a gut punch. Uh, yeah, sort of, man. Punch. But it was such a sober wake up call that maybe you know, transitioned to point two. Sure. Then and I were all like vigilant about screen time. Yeah. And Ford's perspective was when you're present with us in the evenings, you're always Yeah, office. you're not like fully present. Yeah. But again, yeah. up, like, well, dad, it's okay for dad to Yeah, yeah. 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 For, for sure, me. yeah. And then like, hey, look, I my dad, and my grandfather were like wonderful guys. They're great, great male influences for me. But I can, like, look two or three generations back and see this, like, blatant workaholism. My grandfather got a little better with my dad. Um was a little more intentional just in general about keeping his BlackBerry in the case safe or whatever. Um, there's a throwback. I, does this BlackBerry exist anymore? Um, but, um, yeah, like, kind of knowing, like, hey, I grew up with... Uh, with a dad who like who worked a lot for my young life and it's kind of like that sort of starts to at an early age form your ideas about what it looks like to be a grown-up is to work a lot or to kind of always be on call or whatever so sometimes you're even playing the long game there I and again it's important this can kind of sound like oh my gosh like every bad decision I make is going to have these like 20-year consequences and these ripple effects are all going to be negative it's that's not at all what I'm saying the beauty of the gospel is that, kind of baked into the cake is the thought that you're going to screw up way more than you get things right. Um, God's grace covers a multitude of shortcomings. Uh, you know, there's just no way to bat a thousand, or you know, probably even 100, um, when it comes to like raising your kids and, and getting to a place where you're like, hey, you know, we're we're doing everything right. It's just, you know, that idol, it's got to come off the shelf, like it's got to be crushed or else you'll just, it'll be an awful experience. So um, any other questions, comments, letters to the editor? Okay, we're going to talk about tech stuff real quick. Uh, This is kind of a horse that we beat so much, so I don't want to spend a ton of time here unless y'all have questions about it. Um, But I do think it's important. So I'll say, like, phones are not bad. Like, not one of those people It's like, your child shouldn't have a phone until they're, like, you know, Able to be called for jury duty or something, but I will say when it comes to like iPhones and stuff, as a junior high youth pastor, I think Lucy would say the same thing um and probably Connor and y'all have volunteered with us for years on the junior high side. y'all probably say if you gave me ten kids, some of which had phones, iPhones especially smartphones, et cetera early in elementary school, midway through elementary school, and then you gave me a set of kids who did not, I'd say that probably with 80 to 85 percent accuracy, I could pick out after like five minutes which ones had the phones super early. And not just like the Nokia bricks, right, that you could throw at the wall and they'd be fine, right? They were like a blunt force weapon in a really bad situation instead of a phone. like the ubiquitous kind of like bright colors, heavy stimulus, Apple, Android, kind of smartphones, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, by and large, I'd say that kids who didn't grow up with those things in their pockets code switch a little better. They look you in the eyes a little better as adults. Um, They can focus a little bit longer. So it's important to say that... You know, if your kid was in third grade and had an iPhone, it's not you're not behind the eight ball. Just probably means that you've got to keep a better eye on, or maybe work a little harder on the back end to keep some guidelines in place surrounding the iPhones, et cetera, et cetera. I don't. So again, I'm not a social scientist. I would say though, based on some numbers there's a unique thing about the ubiquity of a cell phone right cuz like we all probably in this room grew up watching i don't know the george clooney batman or whoever on tv right so it's not but you can't take the tv in you with you in your pocket does that make sense so it's not that the stimulus in itself is new In a sense, it is on the social media side, but when we think about just kind of screens and phones, to me, like as far as I can see, it's the fact that the phone is always in your pocket, right? Like I was at the DMV the other day. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, and it's like if you get stuck in an awkward social situation, what's the first thing you do? Okay, let's see what's on this like news app that I haven't read in a million years, but I, you know, like this is awkward and I need something to kind of like get me out of this situation instead of just fighting. Emotion, exactly. Yeah, for sure. As like a coping mechanism, definitely. So I would say like again, from what my like very fallible, finite vision seems to be that iPads are less of a concern generally. I know like I know some families who have gotten to a place where they're like, hey we have an hour of screen time every day and I notice that as my boys get older they get more and more irritable when we take the screens away, so we're just gonna ditch it. Then I've heard folks say, hey, my boys or my girls do great with the screens. They come home. They're on the screen for an hour. It kind of gives them a chance to decompress. They don't really have to think about anything. And then they are angels after that. I think a lot of that's probably on a family-to-family basis. Yeah? Um, so, um, our
0: family was a bit like a social experiment in a sense. Nice. I didn't have a television until I was like 21. Yeah, yeah.
1: sure <laughs> but, um, so the
0: ability to um, to digest
1: great literature for longer mm-hmm. and then like it,
0: you know early on yeah. you know, like
1: 11 reading
0: jane and then yeah early yeah on, and then my 20s reading all Dostoevsky.
1: sure so wow so yeah
0: the, the amount of mental exercise to be able to get through the first 10 chapters right you know, it's like a marathon
1: yeah, it's like a delayed gratification.
0: So that now, um, not that I'm
1: completely not you know totally No, for that, sure.
0: But that I value fabulous dialogue. Yeah. You know, Knowing not to interrupt, right? How you know how to sure. dialogue, yeah. So when I get them off of it, that's what I tell them. But that, that, sure, that, you know, it's like I, I'm sad for them that you know <laughs> that they're
1: not, in yeah, dialogue. yeah. But
0: my youngest is dyslexic, and sure, he listens to hours and hours and hours of audio.
1: But, oh man,
0: um, so he loves that. But, um,
1: yeah, nice, yeah, now I get it, yeah. No, yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah, that's that's got a lot to do with it and you know it's not been made easy by the fact that like if you run up in an AT&T store there's like two flip phones right like on the on the floor so it's like if I just want a, a phone so my kid can have it at the ball field in case practice gets done early or practice is going late they can call me and kind of say hey we're done can you come get me it's like it's just hard to get your hands on some of that stuff too if you're trying to be intentional about controlling it. But yeah, I do, like I have buddies I went to college with and literally two weeks ago I sent them this article that Arthur Brooks had written in The Atlantic and it was kind of a, like weird moment because I found myself like, probably wasn't but a 2,000 word article. You know, something you got to sit down and read but it's not going to take all day. It was like an hour of like, Oh, I'll read a paragraph. Okay, I hit a paragraph break. Well, let me see what's going on on Instagram. You know, or like, let me check the Orioles score, or whatever. And then I sent it to some. I like noted that with myself. Sent it to some of my buddies I talked with from college, and they were like, "Oh man, this is too long, man. I don't, like. I'm just not about this. Right, can you give me a, a TLDR A too long, didn't read kind of summary of it, and." The very like self righteous piece of me was like, no, I sat through this. You got to sit through it too. You got to figure out how to like quiet that mind and make it happen. But it's like, hey, I like I didn't even grow up with iPhones. Like my first phone, like the only game it had on was Snake, and it was like locked up so that my parents, like it was my mom, my dad, and I think my tennis coach were the only three numbers that I could call from the phone and nine one one. But yeah, joy. Um, one thing. Andrew, when he was here, mm-hmm. he had really strongly urged all of us to read like screwdrip
0: letters. And yeah. I never liked a, a book that ha- is a letter form. Right. I remember, started reading a couple of weeks ago with um, my youngest. He actually loves it. And what the thing is, is I'm being completely convicted. And really quickly, it was this one part where he's saying, um, you know, strive.
1: To get them to just be flippant. Yeah. Yeah. He said, you know, murder, you know, you young tempters want to think, oh, you need to to get them into a really nasty wickedness. Yeah. He
0: said, um, murder's not necessary if cards will
1: do the trick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that'll, yeah. You know, it's a useful exercise. Something my youth pastor had us do when I was, you know, in high school was when we were about to graduate, he would make us all write a screw tape letter to our, like, about ourselves which is like a really kind of searching, frightening um, exercise, but very valuable to just kind of like give yourself some spiritual currency, I guess, or fluency. Um, Okay, what else do I have here? Um, I think one thing that's tempting to do is to try and have a family tech policy or a family device or screen policy that's kind of abstracted from a general view of life. Right, so it's kind of easy. This is how it just, you know, to a certain extent, you know, probably was in my house growing up, was kind of like, hey, we're going to have this, like, really robust, thoughtfully informed tech policy, but we're we're also going to kind of keep up with the Joneses everywhere else in our life. Does that make sense? So if it's like we're trying to really button down the tech policy, but, uh, you know, we're still catechizing ourselves in this way that shows us that other things are important less than our spiritual growth, spiritual life investment, and our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Um, that tech policy just probably isn't going to hold. Does that make sense? Um, so it's important to kind of keep that in mind as you kind of think about how to like shape the lives of your uh, of your students or of your kids. So. Um, yeah, okay, so that's kind of text stuff. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, letters to the editor. I to yeah. One mm-hmm. I'll, um, highlight my good here, sure. I text her all the time. She gives me the best book recommendations. They're great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I go to the library with my daughter and I pick them out. Like, I don't get them on Kindle. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, awesome. And it's like I was thinking about you reading on
0: your phone. Your kids don't know the difference of you
1: looking at Instagram. Definitely. On your phone. Yeah. So I, some other person gave me that advice, and um, yeah. like, I, th- I think it's a, like my kids see me reading an actual book. So yeah. Like, I just wanted to add that. Like, yeah. Kindle, like, sure, no. So like, yeah. Hey, yeah yeah and two it kind of like shows and tells your kids like you have an embodied existence and that's your primary mode of being right you probably does not tell your kids that in those terms but like when your kids get on their phones and talk to people or you know get on twitter and like mention folks or you know whatever it is that they do via social media or via their phones it really like sanitizes those conversations and what i mean by that is this that It takes the awkward, uh, um, kind of like, okay, here we are in awkward silence. Can one of us kind of keep the conversation going so we can really get to kind of a, you know, a deeper level or kind of move forward in this conversation? It makes it easier, right? Um, Texting to a certain extent, to a larger extent, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, whatever, is like relational Skittles to the kind of fruit nutritious food that like embodied communication is right like when your body tells you it wants something sweet it doesn't want swedish fish it wants the vitamins and minerals that are in an apple or a banana or you know meat or whatever it is but when you give it skittles you're just like kind of satisfying the superficial kind of pang it's the same thing with you know like when you are lonely Your body is, you know, your soul is wanting to connect with another human when you do it via Twitter. It's like relational skills. It seems like kind of the same thing what you're talking about, Liz, in that um, you have this kind of like, like Kindle's cool. I read on the Kindle, it's great for certain. But like, there's something about, yeah, like tactilely showing your kids or showing yourself, even like this is like the real world here, you know? Um, Yeah, that's good advice. Um, okay. Point number three: Our frantic world. This is kind of related to the tech stuff. It's kind of related to point one as well. Um, we'll kind of move through this kind of quickly. Things I think are super rushed today. I don't, you know, know if you guys feel that. It seems like when I was a kid, we just had a lot of free time. You know, it's like you come home, did your homework, go outside, and you play, and you kind of do whatever. Uh, this just by and large not kids lives in a generalizable way today right they um a lot of them have the act tutor to prep them for the act tutor you know and they've like they've got football practice on monday wednesday friday and they've got basketball on tuesday thursday and then when they get home from those like two hour like obscenely long practices they've got homework to do and you know they got friends to check in with and keep up with and stuff like that and so there is this kind of like go, 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 super frantic ethos that definitely probably our kids live in. I think you guys can probably relate to that too in that there's, it just always seems to be a rush. More than that, or kind of similarly to that, um, you know, kind of younger millennials and older Gen Z folks uh, are really into multitasking. They do a lot of this kind of like watch Netflix while they're writing a paper kind of stuff. And we call it multitasking because we act like it can, like, yeah, we're doing multiple things at once, multiple tasks at the same time. Um, but Johann Harry, in his book Stolen Focus, talks about um, all this neuroscientific research from the past probably six or eight years that looks at these multitasking situations and kind of tells us, you're not working on two tasks at the same time. Your brain is very frantically switching between two tasks and it doesn't have the time to kind of like get deep into your paper or get deep into the wire or whatever it is. You're you're probably not watching the wire while you're writing a paper, but um, whatever show it is on Netflix, you're just not investing in. You're constantly switching back and forth so quickly between your tasks and for a lot of us, that's just kind of like the steady state of our existence is if it's not Netflix and a paper, it's work and the phone that we're always kind of like subtly aware of in our pocket, you know? So things are just like super rushed, frantic is probably a good word. Um Those are just two examples of kind of how we got here. But I think most of us would agree probably the most fulfilling moments of our lives are the ones that are probably a little slower characterized by focus and depth, right um, hiking in the woods with your kids, or when you're at work and you're like deep in a project it's flowing, things feel good. You look at the clock, two hours have gone by, but you know like what you've done is good, solid work sometimes like the gym is the same thing for some people, uh you know depth and focus I think are ingredients of a fulfilled life instead of this general frantic ethos. Um, And so I think probably the antidote to that, to this frantic world, is to like just really try to inculcate in your family life and in your kid's life and your life as well some kind of concept of a Sabbath, right? Does it need to be a whole day? That depends on how you read the Ten Commandments and their abiding significance for today, I guess. But... It's probably worth it to try and take some time every day, whether it's like 5 to 6 p.m. or 5 to 7 p.m., and say, like, hey, we're going to be off the phones, we're going to be off work, we're going to turn the TVs off, we're just going to hang out in the backyard, play Frisbee golf, or, you know, whatever the case may be, and just take some time and breathe and not have our minds and our focus and our commitments going, bam, 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 from A to B to C to D to E to F, all the way down the line. Does that make sense? A lot of that's harder said than done, especially if you have multiple kids who are old enough to kind of be running around and have other commitments. Um, but I think there's big ROI on that. Um, okay, that's all I got. We got, well, four minutes or so for questions, comments, conversation, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's like, bro, you made that point for me. Yeah. Tucker, some of my friends who have older kids yeah, yeah. have said that, particularly for kids who are like academically inclined, the amount of like school schoolwork, homework, whatever, yeah. is totally insane now. It is, yeah. Kids. What do you do with that as a parent? Yeah. I mean, do you step in and say, we're not going to take this advanced class or whatever? Or, I mean, how do you Yeah, man, that's a, you know, as somebody with an 11-month-old, I feel like I have the authority to answer this question. Um, No, I think, you know, it's probably worth, like, doing some detective work to kind of see, like, hey, okay, what kind of, like, do we really have this much work, or is my guy, I'm speaking because it's what I did in high school in my AP classes. It's like, we'd have a fair amount of time in class to do the work, but I just, like, you know wanted to jack around with my buddy in the corner of the classroom, you know, it's like, hey, I had 30 minutes of focused, quiet, controlled time to get some work done, and I just didn't use it. Sometimes that's the case, a lot of times it's not. Uh, It's probably worth just kind of, after you've barked up that tree, maybe chatting with a teacher, even before you sign up for classes and saying, hey, we want to do this, but we also want to make sure that our child is like actually living life. You know, like our concern is that the workload is gonna be really, really heavy. Um, You know, can you kind of walk us through what we can expect on a nightly basis? Because if it's gonna be, on average, 90 minutes of homework for AP Lit, and then even Calculus AB is gonna be another hour, that's like, you get out at what, three? That's already 5.30 tack on sports practice, and that's probably 7, dinner, 7.30, you know, by that point, your kid's probably so exhausted, they're about to crash anyway, and so, yeah, I think it's probably worthwhile, and two, you know, uh, Harvard stopped taking AP classes, probably a bunch of other colleges are about to start doing the same thing, um, if for no other reason than it takes revenue away from them, but um, I... uh I, it, it also might be worth asking as a fan. Like, it's an okay question to ask. I want to normalize this as much as I can. I want my kid to go to a good college, whether that's Washington and Lee, or UNC Chapel Hill, or Dartmouth, or whatever. That'd be great. You know, like that. You, we all want that for our kids for them to have these great educational experiences and go to these places that open doors for them in the future it is okay to ask hey if we end up at the university of georgia instead of harvard or if we end up at mississippi state instead of dartmouth is that going to be okay the answer is probably yes i mean if you're going to be an engineer probably better you go to state if you're going to go into business probably better that you go to georgia in some ways so, yeah, I I do want to kind of normalize the, like, it's all right to say, hey, even though everybody else is taking AP European history, we don't, like, you don't need to, like, you can take stats instead of calculus BC. Like, your existence as a child, and you, you guys want this for your kids more than we do. It's like, you want your kids to have a full life that isn't just characterized by schoolwork. It's characterized by deep and rich relationships with their families and with their friends. It's characterized by fun on the ball field. It's characterized by learning life skills at the Chick-fil-A where they work. You know, it's... Yeah, so I don't know if that's helpful. Well-rounded media for children. That's right. Yeah that's, yeah, that's Cameron's big. That's always like, hey, look, I don't want my kid to you know, if he ends up running a Fortune 500 company, like, more power to him, I hope he got a lot more of his mother's genes than mine, but um, also, like, if I see that dude at the gates, and he's like, hey dad, I had a great life, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and you know, we raised a few kids, and you got to meet them, but you didn't get to see them grow all the way, you know, or like, whatever the case may be, it's like, bro, that's a win, you know, and a lot of that is, like you said, Oscar, just kind of placing these things in an eternal perspective is like you're shaping and sanctifying a future soul. You know, like a, an immortal soul that will grow up to one day glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's task number one, not to get your kid a full ride scholarship to McGill College or wherever it is. As wonderful as that is, I think that's got to come second or else uh, parenting will crush you. I imagine, so can't win them all. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I did go to state. Yeah, no, it's fine. I like Oxford. It's a great town. I, you know, wish there wasn't a school in it, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Anything else before we uh, close in prayer and? skedaddle as they say well pray for us and then we'll uh move along lord thanks for this day thanks for your word thanks for these parents and um folks who are just seeking to um, live life alongside one another before your face lord we ask that you'd give us the grace to continue to do that and um yeah guide us step by step In your son jesus christ name we pray amen